We got run ruled in college baseball. I didn't want to say that out loud. Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez alongside my co-host Corbin Polson, and tonight we're joined by a special guest, Tyler Burton. <laughs> Good to be back, guys. I uh, just want to thank the small town of Washington right here in Oklahoma for postponing tonight's FFA event so that I could join you guys. Uh, I got a few good laughs out of the intro to last week's podcast. Even had a couple guys that I work with reach out to me. They listened to it and they uh, kind of poked a few jokes at me about FFA. But uh, no, good to be back. I thought I was going to have to sell my podcast equipment to pay for gas when I filled up earlier today. Uh, but no, it's good to be back on the podcast. Guys, I, I may be the only person on this podcast with like exciting news for what's happening in their hometown. Russell Wilson coming to be a Bronco. Uh, sports radio has been blowing up here in Denver. So uh, a pretty wild day. So just, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a huge Bronco fan, but I live here now. I feel like I should, you know, take part in the celebrations. To you all, does this put Denver on the map as a Super Bowl contender heading into next year? I still think the AFC West is so tough. I mean, you've got Mahomes, you've got Justin Herbert, even David Carr, or Derek Carr, I should say. So you've got four really good quarterbacks in that AFC West division alone. But no, I, I honestly I thought it was fake. I did too. Uh, I thought that it was a, I thought it was like a fake Adam Schefter account whenever I got it. But then it was the phone was just ding ding ding, and then the the TV came on. So um, John Elway he pulled it off. That's that's really good. I don't know how much of it was Elway. I think it was more George Payton. I think Elway with the whole new. Um, ownership conversations happening out here. I don't know how much Elway's involved. Uh, so this is all George Payton uh, handling my, a lot of this stuff. My uh, girlfriend being from Denver, her entire family, they're Broncos fans, and they are uh, don't normally have too many nice things to say about John Elway the, from an ownership standpoint and his role as a GM. So, yep. But uh, no, that, good for them. What, uh, what did Seattle get in return? Just draft picks? or They got Drew Locke. They got Noah Fant, which was a, a tight end. Uh, Shelby Harris, which is, a, I believe, a guy on the defensive line. And then I want to say it was two firsts, two seconds, and a third, something like that, over the next couple it's years. Not, it's not but, a bad take. No, but, I mean, they got – Denver didn't have to give up any significant players, like zero yeah. significant players. So it, yeah. I think a lot of the sportscasters here thought Seattle got a raw deal. I'm not really sure why it happened. It's it's a big move, and um, for the listeners that want to hear more of this, they'll have to subscribe to our Patreon uh, to get the full conversation. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, there's a, there's a ton going on in the Sooner world too, um, just across all sports. Football, of course, um, being front of mind for OU fans consistently all year round. There's no off season there, and I know there were some big things. Um, chief of which last week was um, some of the interviews that came across the board with all the different. Uh, assistant coaches we got most of them in that session last week Tyler I know you watched through I think all of them I saw a couple I saw a couple of them but uh, what stood out to you from uh, from that uh, interview yeah it's you know it's kind of sad you know unfortunately we do record on Tuesday nights and a lot of the media availabilities do happen a little bit later in the week but you know that does give us a lot of good things to talk about once we come around for the next episode but no you're right Adam the media had a chance last Thursday to meet with all the position coaches on Brent on Brent Venable's staff and uh this is really, I think, kind of our first chance to hear from newcomers like Todd Bates, McGill Chavis, Brandon Hall, Jay Valai, as well as kind of get an updated look at what, you know, Bill Beanbow's thinking about, Joe John Finley, DeMarco. Um, when you kind of peel back the layer on Bill Beanbow, especially, and what Kale Gundy, you know, them talking about how, you know, they, they've never been more excited to be a part of OU football. And those are two guys, especially Kale, that have been around for, you know, 5, 10, or in Kale's case, 20 plus years here at Oklahoma. But, um, I, I am curious to kind of get your guys' thoughts on some of the takeaways from it. I know that there were a few things that kind of stuck out to me about that group, uh, what they said, especially from Bates and Chavis. And, you know, starting with a guy in Todd Bates, it's pretty obvious after hearing this guy's story, how he speaks, why Dabo Sweeney did everything humanly possible to hold on to Todd Bates at Clemson. We said at the minute the announcement got uh, became public that this was BV's biggest hire, even more impactful, I think, than bringing Jeff Levy on board. Um, he played in the SEC West Alabama. He's been part of multiple national championships at Clemson. If you followed him on Twitter, I think you could probably call him a poet. 
with some of the things that he's put out uh, with, with regards to coaching and life. But I think the biggest thing of all, uh, he's an elite recruiter that's that's won those recruiting battles over the likes of Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. So it's really nice having a guy like him in Norman. Yeah, the poetry and stuff, I mean, that kind of falls on deaf ears. <laughs> that seems like something you really connect to, Adam. That's shocking. <laughs> no, I, I am not uh, along those lines of a thinker. So, I, I mean, I definitely find it a, a really important hire, and, and you're seeing the results of that. There's guys that normally wouldn't even consider OU that are setting official visits or maybe have been on campus recently that – we normally wouldn't be in the running for not only on the interior of the defensive line, but on the, uh, the yeah. outside on the defensive ends as well. And I think Miguel Chavis was the one that, you know, was the most interesting to me, probably the most mm-hmm. mysterious uh, hire as of right now, simply because he was a guy that came in that had never coached a you know position group in college before, but was getting rave reviews just around yeah. his, his way he connected with the players, mm-hmm. the way he's recruiting. And I think you saw that in that interview um, they did. I think what, particularly stood out to me was he was so intentional about knowing the different names of all the different reporters. It was, mm-hmm. thank you, you know, uh, so-and-so for your question answers the question and then wraps it up saying their name again, being so intentional about that, um, treating them, you know, as humans, uh, and, and just having a, a respectful relationship with them. Not that previous administrations didn't necessarily, but he was going out of his way to treat everyone with so much respect when honestly in 2022, they don't have as much to gain from the media as they did maybe 20, 30 years ago. Uh, there were some good moments, but guys, I don't give a rat's ass about what people and, and coaches are, are saying in uh, in March uh, in an offseason, just to be totally honest. What this team, what these coaches will be uh, decided and how their fate goes is based on how many wins they get. And all of the talk mm-hmm. and all of this about you know how we're here for education first beyond life first it's more than just football that's all great i hope you can build a foundation of a program around that everything that venables is saying is spot on to probably what we want to hear but we were saying the same stuff you know when lincoln riley got hired even even heading into last year i know we we joked and prodded about the we're so close stuff but lincoln would say good things at a at a press conference he maybe wasn't as engaged and maybe didn't get, get you know, 10-minute answers off a simple, you know, one-line question uh, like Venables is, is seemingly going to do from here on out. But guys, I don't care about any of this. Um, it's nice coach speak. All coaches are going to have their little phrases and taglines uh, that will make the fan base happy. But until we hit August and September, it is what it is, and it's just words. I understand that a lot of it is coach speak, but I still think that when you kind of take a step back and look at it, it's still – it, it doesn't feel like something that you hear 99% of coaching staffs talk about. I mean, when you, t- when you look at what Brent Venables and, you know, even, you know, looking at a guy like Miguel Chavis, you know, just an incredible communicator uh, is very gifted when it comes to connecting with people that he's in front of in a room. Um, you know, he's kind of accredited a lot of that to his time um, spent as both a youth minister and a college minister prior to, prior to joining the staff, uh, the support staff at Clemson. But just watching that 16 minutes and Adam, you hit the nail on the head talking about Miguel Chavis Hearing from some of the people around the program and, you know, a few high school coaches that have had conversations with Miguel Chavis, authenticity and genuineness are the first two words that kind of come out of people's mouths uh, when you're talking to Miguel Chavis. And you see both recruits and current players bragging about this guy. Um, and Corbin, I agree with you. You know, it is March. You know, what what are you? What do you expect the coaches to say? But I think that it is kind of a breath of fresh air compared to the last guy um, that's been the head ball coach at Oklahoma where, you know, it, it was, um, I'm going to be with the media the exact amount of time, the the most amount of time that I can be without pissing anybody off. Okay, my 29 minutes is up. Okay, Mike, pull me out of here. I'm done. So being able to see these guys kind of talk about how, you know, we – we care about the kids. We care about the relationship. We're not going to be transactional. Yes, we're here football coaches. Yes, we're here to coach them on the field, but we care more about what their life is going to look like after their three, four, or five years are done here at Oklahoma. So I think it just kind of is a breath of fresh air compared to the previous administration uh, that was here at Oklahoma. And I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of. I don't know whether it's me drinking the Kool Aid, but I just think it, something feels different about Brent Venables uh, and the staff that he's got here. So I can only sustain so long on a breath of fresh air. I'm ready to get some meat and, you know, something more substantial that can give me that energy going forward. And I think Corbin's probably a step ahead of me in that journey. I'm I'm right behind you there, Corbin. Like this is going to get a little bit old, you know, when we keep hearing the same 
motivational, you know, authentic answers. Like I can only live on that for so long before I want to see actual football on the field. I want to see actual change. I want to see the defensive backs not being so far off the ball and everyone's subbing off. And mm. um, I just want to see change actually on the field. And I know we're months and months away from that. So I don't know. I, I wonder if, if more people will get on board like Corbin and I are where maybe we're starting to get a little tired of this, not in a bad way, but like, Hey, let's go out and actually do something before we start taking, you know, too much meaning out of all this. I think one of the things I'm really interested to see, and again, it's it's kind of minor, but I'm curious to see what Venables and this coaching staff says during the offseason, once we go through spring practice, once we get into fall camp, and you start to see some of these reports that come out of practice about guys that are sticking out, guys that are fighting for playing time. If the words and the reports that we get from the staff actually matches up once the once the lights are on and once games are actually be, being played. You know, we hear so many so many stories about, oh, this guy's lighting it up in practice. He's playing so well. Well, he never touches the field on Saturdays. So I'm kind of interested to see, you know, is is there going to be some truth on game days compared to what's being said during the offseason and once fall camp kind of gets here? So, yeah, I mean, all the raw, raw guys right now, not going to mean anything if you drop two of the first five or six games to kick off the season next year. So, oh, God beyond football beyond life all sounds great and i think every coach pro- probably agree with to that when it comes to hopping up in front of a mic stand yeah. but guys results on the field are all we're really after unfortunately that's kind of the world we live in and um the off the field stuff is great but that doesn't keep your job the biggest wins that you can really get in the off season are getting some commitments from recruits and we just hosted a pretty big junior day uh, here in norman a number of uh, different big time recruits um, visiting campus probably for the first time. Some return visits, mm-hmm. most of them meeting the the coaching staff for the first time. Pretty quiet though. Um, no no commitments, which is perfectly fine. But I, I don't know. I kind of walked away from this weekend thinking like, meh. Like there's just no big takeaway there. Um, you know, every recruit kind of said the same old, same old. It's a great family atmosphere. I enjoyed it. It was so much better than I expected. But am I missing something <laughs> here, Tyler? Or- or is there something that you're taking away from this that maybe I'm missing? I, I, I kind of am taking a little bit away from it. Um, you mentioned, you know, th- this being such a big recruiting weekend, 30 to 40 guys on campus. I think that there's two major things that you can kind of take away from it. One is, you know, OU being able to recruit and bring kids in nationally. I mean, you saw a lot of guys from the state of Florida, for, you know, the Southeast, Alabama, Georgia, a lot of guys that, you know, w- during Lincoln Riley's time as the, you know, the football coach, that was a lot of that was a lot of uh, part of the country that he conceded. He knew that he wasn't going to be able to compete in those areas with the likes of some of those other SEC teams. So we're going to focus primarily, you know, maybe on that DMV area or out on the West Coast. So it was, it was fun being able to see kids from the Southeast being able to come to Norman. And like you said, guys at Oklahoma wouldn't be able to, you know, chances are they weren't going to be able to land, um, but they weren't even going to get on campus a year ago. So being able to see kind of an uptick in the caliber of athlete, you know, more more and more four stars, more five stars are going to be making their way to Oklahoma. And I I thought that it's, it's really interesting that Venables is kind of implementing the same um, almost kind of a code when it when it uh, comes to committing to a place like Oklahoma, you use it at, at, at Clemson, just like he's doing in Oklahoma. Kind of where you know the minute that you decide that you want to commit to Oklahoma, you're not taking any other visits, or you're not taking other visits without letting this coaching staff know. Um, so I think that that's very very interesting, and I, I kind of almost like that that Venables is telling these guys if you commit, if you make this decision. You're locked in with us, and your recruiting process is over. There's no more going down to Texas A&M for a weekend. There's no more going down to Austin you know, just to check it out. I've got extra official visits I can take. If you're going to come to Oklahoma, if you want to jump on board with us, it's over. Shut it down. And it might, OU might not be able to capitalize on one or two kids because of that. They might be turned off to that. But at the end of the day, you know, I think you know, speaking for all three of us, we want guys that are locked in. They know that Oklahoma is a place for them, and they want to play here. Be curious to see how that plays out. I know it worked at a place like Clemson, but Clemson's had a lot more. Well, they've had the the next step of success as a program that we've been after. We don't have that right now, and we may have some of those yeah. guys who were able to do that. But what has been done in Oklahoma, besides getting to a to a playoff, has fallen short in comparison to what you were able to do at Clemson. Clemson, you walk in, you saw the recent national championship rings. You kind of have that that foot to stand on to make that call. I don't know that you have that here. And so it'll be interesting to kind of see how that plays out. And you're right. Does that 
scare a few guys away that maybe we'd still be involved with moving forward? Possibly. Does it prolong some conversations to keep us from that next tier of guys? Some of the things that we had concerns of when, when Stoops was back here that we were on guys too long that we're never going to commit here and we lost out on plan B guys so we were stuck with plan C guys. Does that happen now? Um, because, you know, kids aren't fully committed to being here. We, yet we keep recruiting them. To me, you got to kind of ebb with the flow a little bit more than that. That's one thing I think Lincoln Riley did do a good thing. Um, uh, handling that situation of even though guys maybe were committed and were going on different visits, maybe were committed, decommitted, eventually came back to being committed. They, that staff was really good at kind of navigating those conversations and those situations. So I'm, I'm more on the Lincoln Riley side of doing things when it comes to that front with today's culture, today's, you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds, but we'll see how it goes. I can see the value in the way that Brent Venables is kind of flipping the whole recruiting pitch on them. And we were all in sales. That's what we did when we were at the university of Oklahoma. So we kind of know what that's like, where basically he's saying, Hey, you should be recruiting Oklahoma rather than me recruiting you. Like my offer is more valuable and, and just, and kind of phrasing it that way, as far as saying, Hey, like once you commit, like you're in. So I could see some value there. I just hope that it's not as cemented and set in stone as his way of doing things. Um, I want him to be able to say, you know, if that doesn't work out, pivot, adjust, make changes. Because at Clemson, you did have a lot of advantages. You were more successful on the field more recently. Proximity-wise, you had a lot of those guys very close to you. that They didn't have to fly in from across the country to get to your campus. They could come back and make a return visit. So I do want to see how this plays out, but I also want to be quick to pivot if that, you know, comes to comes into play there as far as missing out on a lot of talent. Well, b- before we t- uh, kind of transition to spring football and the spring game day kind of being announced, I do kind of want to just briefly touch on um, OU's performance at the NFL Combine this past weekend. Um, uh, Oklahoma had 11 guys go up to Indianapolis and, and perform. So, um, you know, Adam, just kind of starting with you, who was a guy that you think kind of improved his stock and might be climbing the draft boards as we get closer to May? I don't know if there's one guy that really stood out to me that improved his stock all that much. I think maybe the biggest surprise for me was DTY running a 4-4, uh, 740, which was a top 10 time among safeties. It was faster than Kyle Hamilton, who's going to be one of the first safeties off the board. It's not a highly valued position in the NFL draft necessarily, so I don't know if that is enough to get him drafted. He might still be a free agent, but maybe that gets him some more looks where he'll be able to stick in the league a little bit longer. But yeah, other than that, I think everyone was probably right about where we expected them or maybe even underperformed a little bit. So I I don't come away from that super excited. That's how it seemed to me, Tyler. It seemed like everybody kind of just was status quo. Um, You could possibly say Perry on Winfrey, his 40 time, maybe opened up a couple eyes um, to how he kind of was booking it. Um, and so, yeah, I think him and I think, uh, you know, from what I read, I didn't, I didn't watch every single, uh, you know, rep from the guys there, but it seemed like Brian Osamoa had a decent day, um, you know, especially with his speed at that position that is becoming more and more vital in the NFL to have speed at the, the linebacker position. It seemed like he had a good day, but, um, I can't say anybody probably raised their stock through the roof or lowered it significantly. It just kind of went. Yeah, Adam, you touched on DTY, and I think he tested really, really well. You mentioned the forty time, you know, top ten among safeties. That's you know, that's absolutely fantastic. There's, I think that there is one thing that's kind of, kind of hinder his draft stock, and it's you know, to no fault of his own, it is the fact that he came in, you know, at five foot ten inches. So, uh, but we'll definitely be interested to see if he's able to, you know, get picked up by a team in one of the later rounds, you know, in day three. But I thought that Nick Benito was definitely the one um, that I had my eye on in terms of a guy that I think you know, elevated his status a little bit more, you know, he coming into his senior year at Oklahoma, you know, he was measured in at three at six foot three. He was playing around. Uh, I believe they were saying he's playing around, you know, 235, 236. And then he shows up to the combine, you know, with there being kind of so much, so much question, so much uncertainty about, you know, is he going to be an outside linebacker? Is he going to have to bulk up, you know, maybe to play an edge guy that has his hand in the dirt. Um, and then he shows up at six foot three, 248 pounds. And after putting on 10 to 12 pounds of muscle, he clocks a four five four forty. So I think that Nick Benito has an opportunity. Um, we'll see what he does tomorrow as far as events go test-wise at OU's Pro Day uh, inside the Everest Center. But I think that Nick Benito, with his performance at the Combine, that's definitely one that you could see skyrocketing up draft boards. And 
Um, it's probably going to take the right team falling in love with him. They fought this, you know, kind of visualize him being a perfect fit for the defensive scheme that they want to run. Um, and I think that Nick Benito and even a guy like Mike Woods is another one that tested really well and had a few really nice catches that um, kind of went viral on Twitter. So Nick Benito, I saw kind of interestingly, was projected at number 18 overall in the first round by an ex-New uh, York Jets scout. So I think that's probably a bad thing if a Jet scout highly <laughs> values you. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I guess he did have a good performance. I still think he's probably a little bit on the small side um, for what a defensive end should be. But, hey, I mean, if you're going to be that small, you have to be the fastest guy out there or one of the fastest. So I, at this I point... Can't just- Go ahead, Tyler. I, I, can't, I can't decide if he's like a Micah Parsons type fit or if he's a Vaughn Miller Two very similar body types. Micah carries a little bit more weight uh, for, for the Cowboys, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's – obviously, PFF loves him. You know, he was the number one rated pass rusher in college football ahead of Aiden Hutchinson at Michigan. Uh, but it'll be really interesting to see where he falls. As things stand right now, guys, after, you know – and obviously things could change after OU's pro day, but how many guys do we expect to get drafted from these 11 that we saw over the past weekend? Four? I think Five? I think no. you definitely see Marquise Hayes, Nick Benito, Perion Winfrey, Alsamoa, Kennedy Brooks. I don't know if I said Isaiah Thomas already. I think that's kind of the line there. You think Gabe? Bo- you think both linemen get drafted? Or are you saying those don't get drafted? I think Marquise uh, Hayes does for sure. I think Marquise Marquise Hayes does. Tyrese Robinson has a chance, uh, maybe in the sixth or seventh round. I think Gabe Burkich. I think he gets drafted by a team in, in you know maybe the sixth or seventh round. But outside of that, Jeremiah Hall. He's not getting drafted. Four nine six forty, not very impressive. I, I mean, Jeremiah Hall is a really really good football player. There's nobody. There's no OU fan that that would question that. But fullback is kind of an interesting position in the NFL because you either kind of you either have to be a guy that is a freak athlete that can do a lot of things, can catch the ball, uh, can run the ball, but also be able to block, or you have to be kind of a more prototypical NFL tight end like an Aaron Ripkowski, where your sole job is to go in there and just knock the crap out of somebody that's coming in off the edge or through the A-gap. So, I, I don't know. I, I had Jeremiah Hall as my stock down just because I thought he would test a little bit better. Um, ultimately, you know, like we saw with Orlando Brown a few years ago, testing doesn't always dictate how well you can play the game of football. So, uh, give Jeremiah Hall a chance to make a roster, and we'll see what he can do. One thing that only, I guess, Jeremiah Hall participated in at the Combine was the uh, bench press. He did 19 reps, and so... I'm curious to see if any more guys participate in that at the pro day. I mean, a lot of people that are listening to this podcast are probably listening after um, that has happened, but I wasn't sure if maybe some guys tried to opt out of that. You know, I know there's Benny Wiley type, you know, chatter going on. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to see if guys like Perry on Winfrey or Nick Benito or Isaiah Thomas participate in that, how well they perform in that particular event. Well, Isaiah Thomas, he did do it, I think. I did I think he put up twenty one no, Isaiah Thomas didn't. According to if you're sports, Perry, he has not. If you're Perry on Winfrey, do you even need to? I mean, I, your forty time was point. kind of the biggest was kind of the biggest question mark that people had in terms of how high this guy can get drafted. And ultimately, um I think he did he pull his hamstring on that first forty time? He definitely pulled up at the very end. So how involved is he going to be tomorrow? I think that, you know, his uh, the, the three-cone drill was one that I know a lot of NFL scouts were kind of looking at in terms of his agility, how quick he is in changing directions. Um, but but we'll see. Uh, it, it'll be very interested. I'm very interested to see what a guy like Brian Osamoa, who I think very similar to Kenneth Murray, if he's in the right fit schematic-wise in defense, I think he has an opportunity to be a better NFL player than he was in college. So um, we'll see. Yeah, um, it'll be an interesting pro day. Um, some guys that can certainly, hopefully, improve. Only one yeah. guy that uh, participating tomorrow that was not at the combine, Laron Stokes. So, man, that, he's had an interesting Oops. career. <laughs> I know we can have no. Uh, you, you seriously cut out? You seriously cut oh, out for I, a second? Okay. Did you say Laron Stokes? Oh, okay. Yeah, I who see. really didn't play much over the last two years? Uh, I think he opted out because of COVID, and then I. I think he was hurt most of this year. So, are we going to see any guys from like three or four years ago who are still trying to make it show up to pro day? I, I always like get a kick Brennan out of that. Clay or <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see anything on Sooner Sports, but you never know. You I never mean, know. those guys might not always be listed there. So, yeah. 
Well, kind of one last thing that we'll touch on with OU football. The spring game uh, was officially announced by OU. That is set for April 23rd, 3 o'clock kickoff. This game is going to be televised only on Sooner Sports TV, and supposedly it's going to re-air at a later date on Bally Sports. So $10 for season ticket holders, $15 for the general public. There is no reason, pending bad weather, that the attendance for this game doesn't you know exceed what? 60000 What do we want to set the over-under on this? Brent Venable's first spring game, Baker's coming back, statue unveil. I think six is really right. Good. I think we hit that one of the years that Lincoln was here. So yeah. I think that's reasonable. Should we spring should we is there any hope for a sellout? If Trace Atkins is back. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot of tickets to be selling out the stadium for a spring game because as we know, we had season ticket holders flying in from California, from New York, from Florida, from all over the place mm-hmm. uh, for those regular season games. And yeah, you're going to have more, you know, Oklahoma people coming out that maybe can't afford to go to regular games, um, trying out spring game, but that's a big number. I mean, there's very, very few programs that ever sell out their spring game. And I really don't think there's much else going on that weekend, you know, nationally from a sports perspective. I mean, I know that the Masters will already be passed then. So, yeah, I mean, the I don't think that the Thunder will be playing basketball by then. So, um, I, I'm not sure. I, I think that that has an opportunity. Like I said, the fact that Baker is going to be coming back for the big statue unveiling, that's long overdue. And I, I really think, and again, this might be me with my crimson color glasses on. I think that people will still be pissed off about what Lincoln Riley did. And I think that they're going to want to come out. It'll be a big recruiting weekend. It was reported today. The Overton brothers are going to be in town for the spring game. That's a big, uh, big, big get the fact that OU was able to get them in for an official visit. So, I think that OU fans are going to show up, show up for this game. It wouldn't surprise me if OU decides to open up the upper deck. I, I think you might see five to ten more thousand people over on the west side upper deck. It just I just want to put a rule of thumb moving forward on the podcast. If you have to say maybe it's my crimson colored glasses on more than one time in a podcast, you've got them on the whole time. Okay, like let's just level the playing field. But no, it'd be nice to see a full stadium. I, I don't think you're wrong, Tyler. I think there is some still hate not. Uh, hatred towards Lincoln Riley and wanting to prove a point because that's what we do here in Oklahoma. But uh, I, I don't expect a sellout. So we'll see. It would be cool to have Baker back. Um, you know, obviously nope. his his offensive coordinator and head coach will will not be attending uh, while he was here. Are we here. sure? Yes, we're 100% sure. There's he, no, ch- there's no he, chance of that, right? No. The, the USC spring game will be scheduled the same day just to make sure that there's no possibility. I guarantee it. I hate to say, I don't think he can come back in the state for a, for a no. long time. No. I mean, I you he would. has everything he needs from his old house. <laughs> but seriously, like, if Baker requested it, logistic-wise, well, that's the thing that I was going to ask you about, too. And We can kind of transition to this other topic. One of the things that each of us is excited to see uh, happen that, you know, is non-in-game related. Well, ultimately, as we get closer to spring football starting here in just a couple of weeks, we'll talk about some of the, the X's and O's and the personnel. But one of the things that I'm interested to see is if Baker spends some time talking to the Oklahoma media, what does he say? Because you know somebody's going to. Somebody's Somebody going to ask it right off the bat. When he's asked about Lincoln Riley and the way in which he left Oklahoma, are we going to get the political correctness answer? Or are we going to get vintage Baker where – you see a little bit of that lifelong OU fandom in him kind of come out and you know basically say that Lincoln was a rat for leaving the way that he did. He's definitely not going to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Baker's Legend. matured quite a bit. I mean, he's off social media. He's been off social media for a couple months now as the NFL season wound down. So mm-hmm. I, my guess is he probably avoids trying to have to talk to the media. Um, and I think OU will do whatever they can to – make sure that that request is fulfilled. It's going to be interesting in the setup for this because Heisman Park is not, it's kind of just a big open space. So I don't know, I'm sure there'll be a stage there or something. They'll have some areas roped off, but there's gonna be a ton of people just packed in right there. I think they do it inside the stadium at the conclusion so you think they, of the game. You think they roll the statue in? I think so, because uh, if there's 60,000 people there, you want everybody to be able to see that. And, you know, if you go to Heisman Park, that's such a even though it is kind of an open space because you've got the parking lot a little bit further to the east. I think that from a logistics standpoint, it makes more sense to kind of roll it out or maybe you have it set up in the um, southeast or southwest corner in in that south end zone kind of right there. Have it roped off, have it, you know, have a big cloak over the top of it and then you do it that way. But. I don't know. I could imagine it like coming in on a trailer 
pulled by a pickup truck, <laughs> like the Bob Stoop statue coming up I-35 back in the day. Is this oh, going to be a halftime thing, guys, or have they announced something for halftime? It's into the it's game. after. Oh, it, yeah, it's officially game. after. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think that's smart, too. Keep the stadium full. Yeah. Exactly. We've all been to spring games. That thing clears out at halftime. Yeah, it's just like the I LNC. <laughs> So, yeah, or yeah, basketball game going to overtime, and we've got fans clearing out, headed for the exits. So, yeah, I think that's a perfect transition into the spring sports. Um, so, Corbin, what's going on with softball? Yeah, guys, softball just doing what softball does—a nine-to-one victory over Minnesota earlier this week. Uh, I don't know if either one of you watched it. Kind of an ugly game, uh, just to be honest. It was it was gross. It seemed cold there. Um, you know, it may be a little rainy. It's hard to tell. Got a lot of olds in the back with, you know, all kinds of clothing on. You don't really know what's going to happen with the weather. So, um, but moving forward, kind of Jordy Ball, her worst game so far as a Sooner, which is hard to say. You got three Ks, three walks, one earned run on three hits, but really struggle with some placement there early on in that game. Um, was eventually replaced. And uh, Sooners just doing what they do, guys. Uh, this makes the 12th run rule of the year to kick off the season in 16 games. Aloe was pitched to once, I believe, uh, around the third inning, but was walked every single time. Um, you know, I say pitched to. It was very much pitch around, kind of textbook of like, we're not really going to give her. But she did swing at one pitch, so that's better than probably what she's got in the past week. Heading yeah. forward, guys, to Hawaii. And Tyler, if you were kind enough to listen to the pod last week, I said it. I thought Minnesota was going to pitch around her. Hawaii is where this home run, uh, you know, record takes place. I think Baylor on Thursday, Cal on Friday, they're both going to walk her. I think Hawaii pitches to her for two games and we'll see what happens. So that's the schedule coming up. As mentioned, Baylor Thursday, Friday, Cal, uh, and then Friday and Saturday, they've got Hawaii once on each of those days. But Guys, how are we feeling? This this home run record is just lingering. It I can't say that it's playing in effect because the, the team is still playing very, very well, run rule fashion almost every single time they walk out on the diamond. But it it, it almost it, feels like Brent Venables, like we're just we're kind of done talking about it. We're ready to see some action. It'll be interesting to see once she does break the record off. You know, ultimately we hope that it happens this weekend in her home state of Hawaii. But it'll be interesting to see if the intentional walk continues. Once we get into conference plans, once we get into the postseason, yeah. now um, I think that the, it's not necessarily a bad thing intentional walking. I mean, especially once you get into postseason play, there was kind of a uh, a spoken rule in baseball: you never let the leadoff hitter get on. Chances are that 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 runner is going to be able to come in and score. But you're just talking about more opportunities for girls like T.R. Jennings and you know Kenzie Hansen to. Uh, you know, knock her in and, and improve their statistics. So, but like I said, once you start playing against teams like Texas, Oklahoma State, you get into postseason play, teams are going to have to pitch to her in close ball games. Not too many coaches are going to walk her, put a runner on board to start the inning off. Um, and it's, you're definitely not going to do that when you see how dangerous the rest of that Oklahoma lineup is. Um, and I'm going to, I do want to stick it for Jordy Ball one time. It was about 35 to 38 degrees mm-hmm. yesterday with a wind chill. So, um, it wasn't her best performance by far this year, but it still was a run rule win. And guys, they're outscoring their opponents 146 to 17. So not too shabby for Patty's group. Tyler, you want to see that though, from a hot shot, Absolutely. young freshman pitcher, put her Absolutely. in tough situations. You don't want to see her just coast all the way through. So I say it was her, her worst performance and I'm putting air quotes around that for anybody who can't see me. It was fine for a freshman pitcher and she battled in some tough situations. This is exactly what you'd want in a non-conference early season scenario is just to, to, to get her to sweat a little bit because that 100% is going to happen throughout the season, especially in the postseason. So you might as well get her some reps in those situations now. Yeah. You, you don't want, you don't want the regular season to be a cakewalk for her. And then the first time that she gets into a pressure pack situation where she faces a little bit of adversity is in game three of a super regional when the season's on the line. Yep. So it was good to see her bounce back. You know, she was fighting uh, a little bit of control issue with some of her pitches. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to see her kind of, you know, get out, get out of some of those jams. And when you've got an offense like Oklahoma, I mean, you can afford to be a little bit off in the circle. Yeah. This team's going to be facing pressure all year. Um, right now it's Jocelyn Allo hitting that home run record, which I want her to hit it so bad because about three weeks ago, I thought she was about to break it. And I was just running against the clock, trying to make a cool graphic that we're going to tweet out when she does hit it. And I've just been sitting on that in my drafts for a couple of weeks now. So I really want her to do that so I can tweet that out. But once she does hit that, then you've got basically 
knock on wood, you'll probably have a winning streak going on to the point where we start, you know, talking about, you know, the longest win streak in history is this team going to lose in the regular season, things like that. Um, and winning the big 12 and making the world series again. So there's just going to be pressure throughout the year for this team. It's just going to move from one thing to the next. And I think if you even look at the schedule here, and this is kind of an interesting thought, I, I kind of feel like we're already past the tough part of the schedule. The big 12 has some okay teams, but you'll also get a lot of those games at home now going forward. So if you look to the, you know, behind you, you've played Arizona, you've played uh, UCLA, Tennessee, some, some top 25, top 25 programs. Minnesota is right there on the fringe going forward. Oklahoma state doesn't look nearly as good as they used to. Texas doesn't look as good as they did coming into the year. I think Iowa state is kind of fringe uh, top 25. Have we already played the tough part of the schedule? It's a great question. I'm looking up to see the uh, the latest rankings. So Tyler, chat, talk for a little bit. It it was really interesting. Um, one of seven point seven of the franchise this morning, Bob Prisbill and Eddie Radosovich. They had um, Nicole Mendez on at eight o'clock as a guest. They do kind of a sooner review um, to kind of wrap up the results from the previous weekend. And one of the things that, I, that kind of caught my eye when listening to what Nicole was saying, she said, you know. Even though this team is 16 and 0, even though they do have 12, you know, run rule wins, they're outscoring their opponents 146 to 17. Nicole said that you're, this team has not even scratched the surface on how good they can be, and she attributed a lot of that to the fact that during non-conference play, because of the such bad weather in Oklahoma right now, there's so much travel, there's so much tournaments. OU is OU is exhausted right now. I think is what she was saying. So once you get into conference play, once you kind of get more of in a uh, more of a laid back schedule where you're, you know, you're playing three to five games, you know, at, at your home field. You're not having to pop on a plane nine hours to Hawaii and, and play for four games and then come back. So it'll be really interesting to see once this team does settle in, once they kind of get their groove going, get the mojo back. I, I think that OU is going to just, is just going to dominate the Big 12. I, I think that, you know, much like we talk about every year, the road to a national championship in college softball, it runs through Oklahoma City and, and the Oklahoma Sooners. So, We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, looking at the rankings now, now, granted this isn't directly from the NCAA. It doesn't look like they've updated the rankings on their website for a little bit, but you've got Oklahoma State at 10. Texas is no longer ranked. Uh, a, maybe a potential tricky matchup, a non-conference against Kentucky, who is right now 12 at 16-2. and two. Um, mm-hmm. But guys, let's let's do put it in perspective, though, for as, as good of a season OU is having so far, 15-0. and 0. Bama right behind them at 20 and 0, Florida State at 19 and 1, Florida at 21 and 1. So OU has not played nearly the amount of games as some of the teams right behind them nipping at their heels. But going back to your point Adam, who who challenges them this year in this conference and at least on paper, which we know that's not how games are played, there's not many. Well, what I always say is who in the Big 12 is going to beat this team twice. Yeah. You might you might luck out and get them one day. We might be having an off night, but I just don't see anybody that's as talented or well-coached to be able to beat this team twice. So, um, Adam, you talked about the graphic that you've got ready to go when she does hit the, the home run. I don't want to spoil or anything, or I'm, I'm not naming names, but we talked a couple episodes ago about Jocelyn breaking this record in so many fewer plate appearances or so many fewer games compared to Lauren Chamberlain. So, so, Lauren Chamberlain throwing a little bit of money at these opposing teams' pitchers to Walker's. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's kind of keep that a little closer. So, you know, those were kind of some some guesstimate stats, and uh, that was an episode, if you recall, uh, I was unable to be on due to my power being out uh, because we had to change the day in which we recorded due to uh, a different host on this pod who we won't mention. But it wasn't uh, this I think one. It wasn't this one. <laughs> well, apparently, I'm a I'm a guest today, so I don't know. Who That's it is. right. So um, I think I think, <laughs> I think your time's stats, up, guest. <laughs> <laughs> so the stats on Lauren Chamberlain and Jocelyn Allo, I think maybe um, I didn't communicate those probably as clear as maybe I could have to you guys when when I gave those to you. So I couldn't find um, plate appearances for one of Lauren Chamberlain's years as a Sooner. So I think there is some discrepancy there. When it's all said and done, Jocelyn Allo will probably have about 50 to 60 more uh, games played than mm-hmm. Lauren Chamberlain because she had the COVID year. COVID year. So she's basically a fifth-year player at this point, which no mm-hmm. softball player really does. So by the end of the year, that will be the case. Um, I, I'll have to do some digging to see if I can get some more accurate stats there. Is it fifth but year we'll or sixth year? Because soft, fifth years in softballs are, are somewhat normal, I thought. Uh, I'm not sure what the redshirt rule is as far as like whether you can play at all during your redshirt season or if you have to completely sit out, but this will be her fifth year of actual 
you know, playing. Gotcha. Yeah. So eligibility rules were hard to follow pre COVID. And now you throw in the COVID yeah, extra mess. year of eligibility. I don't know, but Adam, if you made it, th- if listeners, if you've made it this far in the podcast, this is why you've stuck around. Adam, what's going on with the OU baseball squad? We started out strong. We won today, but it's just not looking good. So before I talk baseball, and I promise I'm not stalling because I do want to talk baseball, but I do want to give some shout outs for a couple different housekeeping items. Essentially, uh, we've got some some new ways to consume our content. Uh, we've started a YouTube channel, so um, search us there at the Mainline Podcast on YouTube. Same on Twitter, uh, same on Apple Podcasts, which we appreciate your uh, reviews on, on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're using, but... Um, we'll have some different segments. So if you want to see our beautiful faces talking about uh, different things sooner related, we'll probably clip some of the uh, different segments and post those on YouTube. So if you like a, a more visual experience, uh, we'll have some of that for you uh, here weekly. You but we'll look forward to that. We, we, yeah, should have wait, exactly. we should have not said baseball right for that because, you know, about half our audience just pressed fast forward a couple times. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, so baseball, we were sitting here. Corbin asked me a week ago. <laughs> Is OU the fifth best program in the Big 12? And I said, sheepishly, yes, because I don't know who else to put there. So it's but at least, I was, at least I was optimistic. Maybe it was my fault. Uh, the Sooners go down to Houston to Minute Maid Park in the uh, Shriners Classic, uh, a tournament that OU plays in quite often. Some really good teams down there facing off against LSU, UCLA, and Tennessee. UCLA, not that great. But LSU, Tennessee, both top 15 programs top three in the nation in, in scoring uh, each game. So huge opportunity to make an impact. What did the Sooners do? 0-3. Uh, Friday started off really well. Jake Bennett um, absolutely pitching a monster game. OU up 3-0. No runners in scoring position for LSU, I think all the way up until the bottom of the eighth inning. Just an incredible performance all around. And then the bullpen comes into play. And then it slowly deteriorates, and LSU gets back in the game, and LSU wins in extra innings. Felt like four and a half wasted hours of my life. That's the worst feeling in the world. I, I'm convinced that there's no other sport that you can watch. And then at the end, you're just like, why did I even, why did I even bother? <laughs> but um, And then from there, just snowballed. Um, UCLA, I think OU gave up six or seven runs in the very first inning. Uh, mm-hmm. David Sandlin, um, just out of the game super fast. Um, he's had three starts now, two of them not very impressive. And then uh, on Sunday, got run out of the building again uh, by Tennessee, who granted is a, a great program. Great offense, but not the start you wanted to have. And then even today, uh, we had an afternoon game against Dallas Baptist. Uh, Trevin Michael, first start as a Sooner on the mound. Really impressive. OU gets up big, and then the bullpen comes in. And, the, you know, we have to win the game with bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth, uh, throwing a, a strike out there to win the game by by one run. So, man, I'm, I'm not feeling so great at this point. <laughs> Well, I mean, Friday night, if OU's bullpen delivers, they they knock off LSU, and that would have been a really, yep. really good win. Number for three, program. LSU. Number three, LSU. Yep. And, you know, Saturday against UCLA, Adam, I can't remember what time it is, or I, I can't even remember what I was doing, probably herding cattle or something. But, um, Adam, there, there was a time where you would send me a Snapchat, and it was 6 nothing UCLA. And then 10 minutes later, 9 nothing UCLA. And then 14 nothing. And I mean, just any, they scored, the Bruins scored 12 runs in the first three innings. I mean, that, that game was essentially over before we got run ruled. We got run ruled in college baseball. I didn't want to say that out loud, but yeah, we got our ass kicked by the I Bruins. I didn't know that was a thing. I, I don't know if they call it run rule or there, it's because there's an, in a tournament, there's some sort of time thing, but it's like gotcha. once you get to the seventh inning, if you're not within a certain, yeah, they just call it at yeah. that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then on Sunday against Tennessee, you know, eight nothing loss. OU only managed to scrap together five t- five hits uh, over a nine inning period. So, uh, just a failure to pl- a failure to play complimentary baseball. You know, once the pitching's good, then the offense isn't isn't able to get it rolling, vice versa. So, yeah, uh, two two twenty eight coming into uh, before today's game against Dallas Baptist. Two twenty eight, the batting average, um, currently at one twenty six in the RPI, not great. And now you've got a ton of home games in front of you, but. Really, none of those teams are RPI boosters. They're all, you know, well below you in that uh, in those standings. So, got to get on a hot run here. Got to get those bats rolling. Got to get the bullpen to actually produce some more because your starters are, are doing more than enough to put you in great position. Mm-hmm. I'm not giving up on this team at this point. I'm I'm still hopeful that you know things can go well. It's a long so season. Close. There's, <laughs> there's a lot to go. But I will say too, like 
I don't, I also don't want to be in the middle either. Like either we need to go off and host a regional or, or win a regional somewhere on the road to call us a successful season, in my opinion. Um, or we just need to be, we need to be bad. So it's a clear, clear choice for, you know, Joe and where this program needs to go going forward. I, I don't want it to be kind of in this gray area where we just kind of continue going down uh, this path of just bad or, or mediocre. Well, you've got a three-game series this weekend against UTSA, two midweek next week against Air Force, and then you follow up next weekend with another home series against New Orleans. So you've got the next eight games at home, and you're sitting at six and five right now. So, yes, it's not going to boost your resume a whole lot, the next three opponents that you're about to play, but you would still like to go eight and oh or seven and one you want to you want to definitely win both air force games and take two out of three against the other two so um it's not going to boost your it's not going to boost your power ranking or, or whatever the you know the measurements are when it comes time for postseason rankings to come out but you know you take care of business there's there's no reason why this team shouldn't be you know 14 and 5 or 13 and 6 um once we get around to the month of april getting here so uh corbin or go ahead adam you got one more thing I mean, that might be the longest baseball conversation we have all year because <laughs> I may not want to talk about it nearly as much, but I, I don't know. I'm still, I'm still, uh, I'm still hopeful at this point, but I mean, from one, uh, one team that's had a disappointing weekend to, I guess, another that's had more of a disappointing year, men's basketball. Hey, I got hope. I got hope. There is hope three in a row. at least more hope than on the baseball side. I just want to, you know, I appreciate, uh, you guys, you know, allowed me to speak my input on the baseball subject. I'm very knowledgeable on the baseball topic. So, uh, you know, I'm glad I was able to give my two cents in there. Um, you're but, the, uh, you're the Josh of Sooner Scoop. Like, like he is with me. I was watching, I was watching hockey while we were talking about baseball. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, that's where I'm at. So yeah, shifting to basketball guys, uh, you know, close out the year with winning three straight games, winning the first time in a decade up in Manhattan, Kansas. Um, what, what, yeah, what the hell? What the hell, Lon? I know. I, hey, listen. It's, I don't even. I don't even. I didn't even hate losing up in Manhattan when I was uh, when I was there. If you come in as a, a, a coach in an away team and your jersey's in the Raptors, like you just can't win there. That's just like you can't do it. So anyway, getting back onto this uh, this current year, guys playing Baylor Thursday night at uh, six p.m. Central Time in the Big Twelve tourney. I want to apologize. The past two weeks. I have talked about trying to avoid the Wednesday night play-in games with complete, um, I don't even know what to say, a, a lack of excuses uh, for realizing Oklahoma State's not postseason eligible. Uh, so this year it is different. Only the 9 and 10 seeds are playing on Wednesday night. Obviously they'll play Kansas the following day. But OU now avoids the chance at a bad loss and has everything in front of them potentially to make a tournament run. Guys, do we need more than a win against Baylor? I'm kind of in the impression maybe we need two wins in the Big 12 tournament to really get in for sure. Are we saying 0% chance if they lose to Baylor, there's there's no way they get in, yeah, right? Correct. Absolutely. Cuz they're yeah. they're not part of Joe Joe Lenardi's first four or last oh, four in. So I, I didn't part see, of the second four out. No. I did see a few other predictions that had OU as like the next four out which probably puts you five to eight spots out of the picture. Yeah. Getting a win over Baylor helps. I don't even know if that's enough honestly. That's what I'm asking. Do we need I, I, two wins? Two wins for sure for sure gets you in. I don't know if one does. Who who would the second round be with uh, against Texas? You play you play the winner of Texas Tech and Iowa State. So you to to assure yourself a berth in March Madness, you've got to knock off Baylor and Texas Tech in back-to-back nights. So is Texas Tech well, and Iowa I, State or Texas and Iowa State? Texas Tech and Iowa State. Two teams <laughs> that at, the Sooners have beat. Homemade but. bracket right here. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we, we do it all. We do it all. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I, I'm not expecting this team to be Baylor. Baylor's the hottest team mm-hmm. in the conference right now. They won five in a row. They just won their, you know. Um, I'm still very, very – I don't want to give out consolation prize just because I'm not about that, but I'm still very proud of the fact that this team, when they lost Elijah Harkless, you know, two weeks ago, they had every excuse in the book to throw in the towel. Chances are we're not going to go to the tournament. We just lost our best player in Elijah Harkless. This team was able to rattle off three straight wins to close out the regular season with two of them being on the road. So, you know, regardless of what happens on Thursday night, really good, really good, strong close to the season for Porter Mosier. Um, and we'll see if they can build on that. I looked back at the box score last time we played Baylor and we got a total of 11 bench points, um, six of which uh, came from uh, Maywin, Maywin, I believe is how you say his name, who is hurting out for the year. So that feels like a long time ago. Um, 
So, and then uh, I think another 10 or 11 points came from Elijah Harkless. So the biggest challenge for this team has been that they can't score the basketball. Yeah. Uh, they turn it over a ton, so they don't have as many opportunities. And then when they do shoot the ball, they're not great at it. So, so that's kind of the name cool. of the game. We're all in agreement. Season is, as far as NCAA tournament, like I guess NIT could still be a play, but season's over Thursday. We're all in agreement with that. Y- yes. If, and with a loss. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not sure that OU accepts an NIT bid. That's a great, great question. Do I, we want to label ourselves as an NIT type of program, or do you just want to say we didn't do enough to make it to the dance this year? We'll start building towards next season. It may, and they, you would think they might host, and you do not want to host an NIT Pack game. the LNC for the NIT? <laughs> no, Hell it yeah. Would be, it would be worse to host an NIT game. and like We saw the crowd for the, the last game of the year. It was terrible. Oh. Oh. So you do not want to host just like, hey, call it good. NFT uh, is like Monday, Tuesday nights too. Yeah, it's not pull a Coach games. K and just say, you know, we didn't perform well, wasn't good enough, whatever yeah. he ended up saying after the uh, the Carolina game. But Unacceptable. Yeah. Un- that's what it was. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. And drop the mic, Porter Moser, let's head into next season. Don't, don't go to the NIT. Well, I, I hate to say this because, you know, women's basketball attendance isn't any better. If anything, it's worse. Yeah. If OU performs well enough in this Big 12 tournament coming up this weekend, there's a very good chance that women's basketball is hosting the first round of the NCAA tournament right here in Norman. So I think that'll get a good uh, crowd. Yeah. I I think you You think so? Yeah. Currently the uh, number 4 seed I according to ESPN for women's basketball hosting in Norman with an opportunity to play Oregon in the second game a team that OU lost to early in the season. So mm-hmm. I think that was there's the first loss of the year. Yeah, yeah. I think there's, I think there's some potential interest there. They got to get through the big 12 tournament and maybe, maybe they'll have a chance to improve their seating though. Well, let's transition to women's basketball. A few, a uh, few kind of housekeeping items here before we talk about the big 12 tournament, Taylor Robertson and Maddie Williams were named a first team, all big 12 this week. Uh, that kind of goes hand in hand with Jenny Baranchek being named a semifinalist for the Naismith national coach of the year. Hell of a job in her first year as the new head ball coach for the OU women's basketball program. So shout out to Jenny on that. Uh, and guys, like I said, Big 12 tournament coming up this weekend. OU opens up uh, Big 12 tournament basketball play on Friday at 11 a.m. We l- wouldn't have it any other way, 11 a.m. tip off to, to get things going. So uh, they lost at home to Kansas this past weekend. Immediate rematch with them uh, on Friday in Kansas City. You win this game, chances are you're going to be taking on Baylor. Um, which is a team that we've already beat twice this year, but it's hard to beat a team three times, much less twice. So, um, Tyler, do you have a bracket, a hand-drawn bracket for the women's? <laughs> You're damn right, I do. I, okay. Hey, I, I missed double out. Sided. Let's see. Let's yeah. see. I there want to make go. sure it's, it's, it's National Women's right there? Month and National Women's Day. Yeah. Wow. All right. There have we you, go. Have, I, you, I, have I, you put in your application for the Title IX committee? Because, man, that would be a home run hire right now. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to talk about that on a, on a later podcast. But, uh no, I got the brackets made for both. I don't know how far this team's going to go, uh, but again, as much as we make fun of the attendance, I think that it would be really, really cool for this team to host a first-round game uh, in, in March Madness. So We can see this team going to the Sweet 16 and getting bounced in the first round, right? Like, it is yeah. an all-or-nothing thing, it feels like, with, with this team right now. If, if they are shooting the basketball well, especially from beyond the arc, they can beat probably but in, all but about six. I hate teams. when people say that. No, so much. I, I, understand, I understand that, but I, <laughs> if that, you score I points, you can win. Well, I completely agree with you. It's they live and die by they the three do. point shot. It's just like watching Davidson in men's college basketball. If they're if they're on fire in the tournament, if they peak at the right time, yeah, they can make a deep run. Oh. But <laughs> so hard to follow what? a dumb take like that, Tyler. But. <laughs> but no, I. <laughs> how, how is that I, dumb? If they shoot the basketball dumb. well, they can make a run. But you know what I mean, like that. That if anybody shoots the basketball well, they can make a run. Like that, you well, know how yeah. that goes. I mean, it's if like you know, it's Tony Romo. Yeah. Hey, you score more points, you're going to win the game. Like, well, t- Tony Romo also <laughs> also thought that Dak's broken ankle was a cramp. So. I, I don't Sounds I don't know relatively I, I, equal. I can at least. <laughs> yeah, okay. I can at least agree with you that I. I I don't know about in women's sports because there is more disparity between the good teams and the bad teams. The first round, there's probably fewer upsets in the women's tournament. That second round, I could see that, especially if you're playing a team like Oregon there. Yeah. Uh, maybe they get bounced there. Maybe they go to the Elite Eight. Um, you know, there's there's a wide range of possibilities there, but um, the team hasn't necessarily closed in the best 
manner that gives me tons of confidence. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of been up and down. You lost to Kansas here at home um, to close out the year. Hopefully they rebound and, you know, do a little bit better. Kansas, uh, up in Kansas, Kansas shot too. the ball well. It correlates. <laughs> Man, checks out. Checks yeah. out. And if you hold the team to zero points, you also have a good chance. At I would yeah. say teams are undefeated when scoring more than their opponents in basketball history. I'll have to research it, but I'm fairly we'll confident to. that's true. If you we'll. Tyler, next week, if you could have another bracket breaking that down for us, that would be really great. I'll, I'll go back in history. We'll cover a few different sports to find out if the team that actually scored more points, if the if the That'd if the good. win rate is a hundred percent on that. So, yep. yep. Uh, who was who another? Was there, who was there was a coach earlier this year that said uh, more more teams lose games than win. <laughs> I don't remember who it was. I want I want to say it may have been like one of the Broncos uh, like assistant coaches. He said or something I, it like does sound that. Sound like an NFL thing. Yeah, he's yeah. like you know teams teams lose more games than uh, than others win. It was like wait. Wait, hold on. There's a winner and a loser on each one. I don't think that's how it works. Well, well <laughs> speaking of uh, a team that won, how about women's gymnastics knocking off I mean, number it, one it Michigan? It does kind of make sense. I don't want to go full Shaq trying to explain gas prices to the rest of the barbecue NBA chicken staff, but there you go. I mean, you if you go nine and six, yeah, you did technically lose more games than a team that went four and twelve. So. Yeah, that's that's about as in depth as I want to go. So, right. Adam, what's or Corbin, what's going on with women's gym? <laughs> women's gym stays undefeated at home this year, fellas. Uh, we talked about that last week. How they're mainly their struggles and their two losses both came on the road, uh, defeating number one Michigan, who I believe now is number three with the new rankings, and OU moves up to number one in the rankings. So, guys, if this tells me anything, you know, you look at OU, they they beat number one Michigan at home. Now they've got two losses to currently number two Florida, number four Utah. Guys, the the Super Six, this whole postseason of women's gym should be very entertaining. Um, typically, there is a favorite or two favorites heading into postseason play. It sounds like it's just a, a, a kind of a, a who's who of uh, of women's gym heading into postseason. So it is really going to come down to you know who is on their their best game that day. Um, OU has proven they can lose to top tier teams and they can also beat them. It sounds like that's going to be uh, that's how it's been for everybody in the country so far. So this postseason play for women's gymnastics should be really entertaining. Yeah, it's definitely good to see them bounce back. You yep. know, after we talked about last week, two losses in the same regular season for the first time since 2014. Yeah, I mean it's good. You got to see that before you go into postseason. Um, got two more wins um, in a quick turnaround. Actually, the other day they went down to Denton and played a couple different teams um, or competed against a couple different teams down there. got some more W's. So um, yeah, rolling right through the regular season, postseason coming right up for women's gymnastics. You got to love it. So I know spot, Big, Big 12 championship it. is in Denver and I can't go. I'm so annoyed because I was going to go see it. Rejected. And, yeah, they did. Didn't let me in. Yeah, no, <laughs> he. It was on a Tuesday night, Tyler. That's why he can't go. He oh, yeah. respects the podcast. Yeah, it was. It's National Chocolate Chip Day that day, and so I just <laughs> I, I shut off. I shut off. I shut off everything as somebody else on this pod does. You know, when then there's there's a nationally related item day and peer pressure. Well, moving over here to uh, McCaslin Fieldhouse, the number two Oklahoma men's gymnastics team uh, had a pretty good victorious weekend. Uh, just uh, a couple days ago, they defeated number 11 Springfield, number 13 William & Mary on Sunday afternoon uh, with a team total score of 400.9 points. So fantastic job by Mark Williams' team. Sooners took home five team uh, event titles, all six individual event titles as well. Uh, Oklahoma's continuing to build momentum, guys, with postseason play coming up. And even though it was a dominant win for Oklahoma on Sunday, head coach Mark Williams um, says there's still a lot of work to be done. and They've got some things that they've got to clean up. Uh, particularly on the parallel bars. That's about as detailed as I can be uh, <laughs> on events within men's gymnastics. But uh, they'll look to fix those things ahead of a big matchup this weekend when number five Ohio State uh, comes to town to take on the Sooners Saturday at 6 o'clock inside McCaslin Fieldhouse. So postseason plays right around the corner for both the men's and women's gymnastics team. And uh, we'll see if they can both bring home another national championship. Now, Tyler, I just want to confirm here, just so we can mark off another sport to our list. The men's gymnastics team had more points than their opponents to to win. Are, am I? That shot really well. <laughs> ch ch chances are, if you have one more point than the other team, 
chances are one's going to go in that W column. But yeah. I, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll circle back just to make sure I, I don't want to report anything. Um, Go- golf is going to throw a twist into this whole thing. So we need to, there's, there's some diving into we need to figure out here. I actually, and again, <laughs> I, I spent all my golf time pr- preparation for the podcast, actually making these two homemade brackets. So I don't really have anything as far as the team event goes for what men's golf is doing, but I do want to point out uh, Chris Goddard and Max McGreevy, two former or one former sooner, one current sooner. Uh, both had top 10 finishes in their PGA tour event in Puerto Rico this past weekend. So Guys, I don't have anything else. Pretty good podcast for tonight. Appreciate you having me on, Adam. Thank you for welcoming me back. It's been nice. So, uh, yeah, we do it every Tuesday. So we'd love to have you back, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that is a great place to, to end tonight. We've got uh, a ton going on this week. More, you know, tournament postseason play starting up for basketball, and I think we'll have some uh, potentially fun things to get everyone involved on uh, March Madness. Uh, trademark, I guess. We're probably not allowed to say that. But Damn it, Adam. Uh, there goes the pod. Yeah, there goes shoot. the pod. So, well, shoot, stay tuned. Shoot it, shoot it well. We have a chance. That's right. That's right. So, appreciate everyone listening. We'll be back again next week for another hour-long edition of baseball talk and uh, maybe a few other oh. sports mixed in as well. So, uh, that's it for tonight. I'm Adam Duquez for Tyler Burton and Corbin Polson. This is the Mainline Podcast.